last week. That key of obedience. The key of obedience, just doing what Jesus calls you to do, no matter how silly it may feel. And, you know, sometimes it does. Sometimes it's like, eh. This week, with Thanksgiving on the near horizon, right, um, I thought it would be appropriate to, well, now it's, again, Thanksgiving is what we're celebrating, right? <laughs> Rifle season come in, I just had to throw something in there. I, I get excited about that, more excited than any other hunting season. Um, looking forward to a, a fruitful hunt. But it seemed appropriate to cover the topic of gratitude. Gratitude. It's not a word that any of us like to necessarily think about, but it is powerful, powerful. You know how you feel as a child. The gratitude of your children unlocks your blessing. You just want to bless their socks off. But when you give them something and they're not thankful for it and they're grouching about it and they're, they're not, you know, don't have an attitude of gratitude, doesn't exactly invoke your, your blessing, does it? No. It's no different with God our Father. Obedience is the behavioral key to unlocking God's power in and through our lives. But gratitude is the attitude that unlocks God's transforming power in and through our lives. And we see this being true over and over and over again throughout the pages of Scripture. Over and over again, it was gratitude, that attitude of gratitude that brought God's blessing and the grumbling and complaining that, uh, well, let's just call it what it is. It was his curse, you know. Earth opened up, swallowed up people. I mean, fire fallen. God had all kinds of creative ways of dealing with grumbling and moaning and complaining, and none of them were good. Never once did he choose to pour out his blessing upon that people. But we're not going to be that people, are we? We're going to be a grateful, thankful people. Because we see beyond our reality, we prophetically see what God is able to do through our circumstances. That the page that we're on now is not the end of our story. It's not our destiny our page never ends on a down note. It always ends in glory and goodness and favor. Always. And so we find that over and over again throughout the Bible, in the midst of lack, in the midst of betrayal, in the midst of hopelessness, in some of the darkest and most impossible days of life, that it was literally gratitude it was thanksgiving that unleashed the power of God to do the impossible. And have you ever noticed, even just yourself in life, that it's not usually those who have a lot that are the most thankful. It's those that have very little that are the most thankful when anything comes their way. Just the most thankful. And they're praising God for even their lack. Now, I recently saw a quote online that it's not happy people who are thankful it's thankful people who are happy. And it's really a true principle. You really do see that play out in life. Choosing an attitude of gratitude, no matter what our circumstances are, can change everything for us. Because it changes our perspective. It changes your perspective. Because when your attitude changes, when your heart changes, everything else in life flows from it. That's what Proverbs teaches us. Everything from your life starts in the heart. If you've got a hardened heart, you're going to have a hard life. If you've got a soft heart that the Lord can just mold and shape, you're going to see just God's blessing flowing abundantly in every way. Even when, because believe me, I've been here, so I'm speaking from personal experience, even when I spoke 
talked about a little bit last week, you know, even when I've got a rotten attitude, even when I think my day has just been the worst, right? Even if I can't see anything to be grateful for, I just want this day to be over. Anybody ever have those days? Yeah, every one of us here has, if we're being honest. We've had those days. I just want to go to bed and, and wake up and start over. This day was just not good. Even when you're having one of those days, you can still have an attitude of gratitude, if for nothing else, just because of God and who he is. Just, just, start, just start verbally praising God. God, I just thank you because you are faithful. I thank you because you are merciful. I thank you because you love me even in my unloveliness. You know, Just start thanking him for who he is. And for all of his promises, because we haven't received them all yet. And what that really does is it starts hardening, or, you know, plowing up that hardness of our heart. And we start really being thankful for the things around us. In fact, um, Psalm 100, verse 3 through 5 teaches us to do exactly that. Start with that. Just know that the Lord is God. If your day has just been stinky and you're done with it, just, just know that he's God. Know that the Lord is God. It's he who made us. We're his. You see how this tone starts changing. I'm a child of God. I'm his. He created me on purpose for a purpose. We are his people. Then it's, I'm not alone. It's us. We are his people. We're the sheep of his pasture. Isn't he going to take care of us, right? I mean, if, he, he, if a sparrow doesn't fall to the ground without him knowing it, how much more does he love and care for us? And so we enter his gate. How do you enter a gate? You've got to first unlatch or unlock it, right? So what is the key that unlatches or unlocks the gates of heaven? Thanksgiving. Gratitude. We enter his gates with thanksgiving. We enter his courts with praise. Right? That's why we're going to raise a hallelujah. Even in the, middle of the in the middle of the battle, even when we're not seeing the victory, we're going to raise a hallelujah. We're going to praise his name because that is what brings you straight into the presence of God. We're going to give thanks to him, and we're going to praise his name. Why? Because he's good. He's good. This isn't good, but he's good. So I'm going to praise God because he is good, and his love, it endures forever. The love of God endures. And I'm thankful that it endures because sometimes I can't even love myself. <laughs> sometimes I got those days when I'm like, well, Jesus, now the thing I said I was never going to do again because I love you. You know, I did it again, and forgive me, you know. I mean, you know, you ever have those days? Like, but his love endures. It endures all that stuff because he has a bigger plan and purpose for you. It's not over. It's not finished yet. So we give thanks to the Lord because he's good. His love endures forever, and his faithfulness continues through all generations. He is faithful. Yeah, give him a hand for his faithfulness. I mean, come on. He's going to see you through this. He's going to see you through this. You're going to see. David said he's going to taste and see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. My hope isn't when I kick the bucket or get raptured home. My hope is that I will experience the kingdom of God here on the earth. Because once I'm there, it doesn't taste as sweet. Because it's all good. There's nothing to compare it to. But when I get to taste the sweetness of the Lord here in the land of the living, man, is it good. That's some sweet, sweet manna, right? So there's a common thread that we find Old Testament, New Testament, all throughout the scriptures. And we're going to take a look at these three separate instances in the New Testament. So we're going to jump through a couple of different instances. And to see this exact, literally, it's the exact same thing take place. 
If the Lord says in the King James, verily, verily, or if he says in the, the you know, NIV or NCV, you know, very truly, I tell you, if he repeats something more than once, your ears should kind of perk up. There's something important to that. This happened, Old Testament, New Testament, so many times, the exact same scene playing out. I just couldn't ignore it anymore. I had to talk about it this morning. Um, in these instances, we find a backdrop of absolutely horrific impossible, dire circumstances. Life was not going very good. Forgive my French, but life sucked, okay? It lemoned. I mean, we just, it was not good. But how choosing to give thanks in the midst of those circumstances unlocked the gates of heaven, released a miracle to transform them. And we're starting with a very familiar one, right? The, uh, it, we're going to read it, this account from Matthew chapter 14 about the uh, miracle of feeding thousands. And it says, in, starting in Matthew chapter 14, verse 15, as evening approached, when darkness is on its way, and it inevitably will come in this world, you will have troubles, when the darkness was coming, the disciples came to Jesus. And they said, this is a remote place. It's getting pretty late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. And I wonder how many times this happens in our prayer life, and we miss it, because we pray at Jesus, we're not talking, communicating with Jesus, we're just talking at him. Jesus replied, and he always will, open your ears to hear the voice of God. Jesus replied, and he said, they don't need to go away, you give them something to eat. How many times are we kicking back waiting for Jesus to do something and all the time Jesus is like, you do it. What did he tell Moses to do to experience that miracle walking on dry land, parting the Red Sea? Move! Get going! Why are you standing there whining? Asking me to do something. Get walking! Right? And when he started walking, the miracle took place. In the Old Testament, the Jordan over its flood banks, right? And what did God say? Get moving, get walking, okay? We are not to be a people that just sit around waiting for God to do something. We cooperate with him. He does it, but he's so often. In fact, I can find very, I can't even think of one right now. Find for me, there's homework for next week. Find for me an instance where God just did something without using somebody, without working through somebody. Even if it's just raising Moses' hands, God was winning the back creation. Well, that's not fair. That's a catch-22. You should, you should, yeah. <laughs> yes, it did. But we continue on here, yes. And there are going to be cases. Bring them to me. It's, it's exciting. I, I want to hear them. So he replied, they don't need to go away. You do something. You give them something to eat. And they, they answered. They're whining and complaining. Well, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish. What did Jesus say? You bring them here to me. Jesus was still going to do it, but he wanted to cooperate. He wanted to release the miracle in and through their lives so they could taste and see the goodness of God and what he can do. And so verse 19 says, And then Jesus directed the people to sit down in the grass, taking the five loaves and the two bread, and then looking up to heaven. It was something like this, you know. Um, thank you, Joe DeMeo, and your amazing bakery for your amazing sweet goodness, right? I, I couldn't wait. I bought this two days ago, and I was going to break it, but I got hungry. It's too good, but 
But Jesus, he literally, he took the loaf of <laughs> He took the loaf of bread. Yes. He looked up to heaven, he gave thanks. Just thank you, Father. He broke it and then he gave it to the disciples. Because who did he tell to do something about their hunger? The disciples. And so it says that he gave to this to the disciples, and the disciples gave it to the people. You see how God operates, how his kingdom operates? You're not here to hear a good message, because there's better people on the internet you can listen to. You're here to get trained and equipped to receive from Jesus because you got people to go out there to who need some bread of life, right? They need some rivers of living water. They need some hope. That's what we get training equipped here to do, to go out. And so he gave it to the disciples. Then the disciples went out and gave to all the people. And verse 20 says, they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men, not including women and children. 5,000 men, not including women and children, with those five loaves of bread and two fish. A miracle. That miracle took place. He looked to heaven, he gave thanks, he broke the bread, and he gave it out. Right? Great need and impossible resources with which to meet it. Do you ever feel that way in life? You're just overwhelmed. That sink is too deep. There are too many dishes. I can't do it. I don't have the strength. <laughs> you know? <laughs> dishes and laundry are hot topics in our household. I don't know how it is in your house. I go into Nathaniel's room and I'm like, wow. I know there's carpet under here, but it's kind of nice walking on all these dirty clothes, right? I'm sorry, bud. I love you. <laughs> It's humorous, but in reality, we often feel overwhelmed in life. Things come our way. It is an impossible need, and you don't see how you're going to meet it. I mean, this, this, this you know, credit card debt's too high. What am I going to do? This, you know, Lord, you built this giant building in the middle of a you know, community with a median income of like 30 grand. You know, how are you going to pay off that kind of debt, you know? God makes a way. God makes a way. Woo, right? But looking to God... Not looking at your circumstances, not looking at the impossibility. Dal Silva says it, it's still in the office in there. Don't, don't, tell your, don't tell God how big your problem is. Isn't that our prayer life? God, you know, I, I have this huge impossible issue. Don't tell God how big your problem is. Tell your problem how big your God is, right? Speak to that problem. Prophesy to that impossibility. That ain't no valley of dry bones. That is a mighty army of the Lord that you're speaking to. Call it what it is. The way the Lord sees it. Look to God. That's the only place where you can prophesy from. Elijah, where did he go for the source of that prophetic word? To the Lord. That's the only place we can go. Look to the Lord and give thanks. And watch that miracle get unlocked. Being thankful for the little that they had unlocked a miracle that multiplied to exceed the need. They had more left over than what they had to start with. Only God can do that. But it happened with Elisha's widow and the jars that were poured out. I mean, over and over and over again, God performed this. You know, in fact, this isn't a new miracle with Jesus. Elijah and Elisha did it, you know, decades, well, centuries before that. It's, it's the same God who does the miracles. He just loves to show off. You know, I, I love it when that happens. There is so much more to this account, but we're just focusing this morning on that attitude of gratitude. Jesus overcame the grumbling and the lack around him, and that wasn't the only time that he did it either. Um, in fact, if I could have um, Nate, girls, if you could come forward too, and 
kind of pass out the elements here. Uh, Jesus gave thanks. Jesus gave thanks. He broke the bread. No, no, not the big chunkers, the little chunkers. Jesus gave thanks. He broke the bread and he gave it all away. He broke the bread. He gave thanks. He gave it all away. So we have this, this, this sort of pattern. Gratitude was the beginning of everything. He thanked his father for the lack. He thanked God for the lack. When is the last time you thanked God for that dark thing you're walking through? We never think of doing that. He thanked God. Why? Because this was the stage for a miracle. How often do we think that way? We need to repent. We need to think about it this way. When the impossibility is there, God, I get to experience you in more fullness. I, I've never experienced healing without experienced sickness. I've never experienced a miraculous provision without miraculous lack. You know, it just to give thanks that this is an encounter that you're going to have with our great God. It starts with gratitude, then it's brokenness. We admit we are broken, we need Jesus, because we can't do it on our own. Gratitude, brokenness, and then finally servanthood. But you know what? I'm going to trust you, God, by serving all those around me. Notice how Jesus was the very last. His disciples were the next to last. The people were first. But as they gave and served the needs of the community, there was an excess. Not only were the disciples able to eat and Jesus able to eat, there was leftovers. I've never went to Long John Silver's and had leftovers, but they did. They did. This wasn't the only time it happened. Matthew 14, Mark 6, John 9, uh, I'm sorry, Luke 9, John 6. In all four gospel accounts, they recorded that miracle where Jesus um, fed 5,000 men, not including women, with 12, and with 12 baskets of leftovers. In Matthew chapter 15 and Mark 8, there was another of the exact same occurrence that happened. He had seven loaves of bread, and he had just a few small fish, and he fed 4,000 men, not including women and children, with seven basketfuls of leftovers. I mean, if God can do that... What is my need? It's nothing for him. He can do this, right? And of course, we're all very familiar with this account that you know we're getting ready for. Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot that slide. Um, where Jesus did the same thing. But I'm going to back up a little bit in Matthew 26. To, because we always start with, Jesus gave thanks and he broke it. Well, look at what was happening. When evening came... <laughs> Here comes darkness again. Good old kingdom darkness. Always thinks that it's going to win. Always thinks that it's going to prevail. Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. Not really something that I think any of them were expecting. You, do you know the last person was expecting to hear those words from Jesus that night? Judas. You ever been there? You ever, you, I remember in grade school, you know, buddies did something we weren't supposed to do, and the teacher's like, 
All right, so this happened. Who done it, right? You know, and you're like, you know, you're scared to death. And Judas had to feel that way, like, he knows, okay. Very true, I tell you, one of the, so in the middle of betrayal, in the middle of darkness, this is the darkest day of the life of Jesus, the darkest hour where everyone's going to abandon him and he's going to be alone. Anybody ever feel that way? World's against you. Nobody is there for you. Even the people who vowed to be there with you till death abandon you. You're alone. This is what's happening with Jesus. That's the backdrop of this. They were very sad. And they began to say to him, uh, one after the other, Well, surely not me, Lord. Not me. I would never do that. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand in the bowl with me, so they washed before they ate, will betray me. The Son of Man will go, just as it was written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had never been born. Then Judas the last one, the one who would betray him, said, surely you don't mean me, rabbi. Do you see what it took to get the confession? You know how the teacher is in grade school? She keeps pressing and pressing and pressing because she already knows who it is, just like moms and dads. They know who done it. They're just they're just waiting for the confession, right? You know. And did you ever notice, the quicker you confess, the lesser the punishment, right? Be quick to confess your sins to Jesus. There's healing in that. So finally, Jesus is pressing and pressing. And, and it got to the point where he's like, it would be better if this person had never been alive. And then he's like, um, surely not me, Rabbi. Jesus answered, you have said so. And while they were eating, that's the backdrop. While they were eating, Jesus did something very familiar to all of them. He took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body. And he can... That was such a, a cute loaf. They do such an awesome job, you know, baking it just right and raising it. And, and then you got this mess. And this mess, Jesus said, was his body that was broken for you. And he said that to all 12 of them. His forgiveness is available to all. It was even available to Judas who brought about his death. Choice is what we do with it, right? And so this morning, Jesus, we thank you for your body that was broken for us. Lord, help us not to make light of your sacrifice, but to make the most of every opportunity you give to me in this life so that I can reach the full potential for which you created me. Thank you for your body that was broken so that mine can be blessed in your name. Amen. And you may eat. And then he took the cup. And he had some pretty fine wine. He didn't have this grape juice stuff, but, you know, Assemblies of God Church. Catholics, they got the, anyways. Um, while they're eating, he took the cup. And again, when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And he said, drink it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant. It is going to be poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. In fact, I tell you, I won't drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until the day that I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. He knew his death was coming. He would never drink 
the fruit of the vine again until he was seated at that table set before his enemies. And so, Jesus, we thank you for loving us as we are, for accepting us as we are, and then forgiving us of all of our sin. We just plead the blood of Jesus over our lives, over our families, over our circumstances. Your blood, Jesus, that made a way where there was no other way. That you poured out your blood for the forgiveness of my sin. You took on the curse that I deserved so that I can be blessed. What more can I do, Jesus, but to thank you and to willingly offer up my life. Take me as I am and just have your way in and through me in your name. Amen. And you may drink. And then it said, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Jesus gave thanks. He served. Sang some praise. In fact, the scriptures say that it was for joy that Jesus took on the cross. Not because he wanted to. Remember, he asked three times. To not go through the cross. But yet he submitted his will to the Father's. He walked through the valley of shadow of death because he knew green pastures were waiting on the other side of it, right? Learn from the example of Jesus. We too have a victory waiting for us on the other side of these things. These are light and momentary troubles and they will end in the goodness of God and in a victory. Amen? Yeah! So... In the midst of lack, in the midst of betrayal, in the midst of hopelessness, in the midst of darkness in the most impossible days of our lives, gratitude again unleashed the power of God. We've seen the power of God, right? A couple of days after, three days after, if I remember correctly, right? The power of God, what he can do through thankfulness. Jesus gave thanks. He sang songs of praise on the darkest night of his life. Again, gratitude, brokenness, servanthood. Now, this final account, we're turning ahead, um, is in the backdrop of this little map that you see here. A guy named Paul, you know, a guy that uh, Jesus gave his life for, right? He finally received it instead of uh, fighting him. We see this same thing taking place after the death and resurrection of Jesus. The backstory is a really long account. Read it for yourself. Please read it. Acts, starting in ver Acts chapter 21. I mean, it is like... A, a, a movie-like series of events. It's full of action, full of drama, adventure. Um, you, you like your courtroom shows? There is courtroom after courtroom after courtroom scene, you know, uh, of, where Paul appears to all of these different individuals. Um, it's just amazing. You've got to read through it. Acts chapter 21. It's all leading up to Paul appearing before Caesar in Rome, Italy. And the last part of his journey to Rome... Of course, as a prisoner, as the very first event that took place, he got wrongfully accused, wrongfully accused. He was imprisoned for nothing more or less than sharing his faith with Jesus, about Jesus, right? This last part happens on a ship. Winter is soon arriving, just like it is today, you know, it's, it's on its way, like it or not. And this strong northeaster made an already long and dangerous journey now deadly. In fact, if you look at Acts chapter 27, that's where we're going this morning. It says that there are hurricane force winds blowing on the seas. 
And despite many warnings from Paul that this trip would be disastrous, disastrous to ship, to cargo, to their very own lives, they ignored this prisoner and continued onward. In fact, they had to find the right ship and, um, and a captain that was willing to take them into this, trying to get to Italy. And it says here, I'm going to start in verse 15, that the ship was caught by the storm and they could no longer head into the wind. So we gave way of it. This is Paul speaking. We gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Cotta, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. So the men hoisted it aboard. Then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. Can you imagine? You're out on the open sea. The storm is raging so much, and the, the lifeboats are beating it and beating it, and you're going to lose them. If, so they bring them up on board. And they're so fearful that this, just the storm itself is going to tear the boat apart that they put ropes underneath it and tie it, just trying to hold the thing together, you know, fighting for their lives. He continues on and says, We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day we began to throw cargo overboard. On the third day... Isn't that interesting? On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and the storm continued raging, we all finally gave up every hope of being saved. Think about this backdrop here. Paul knew what was coming. And he was forced as a prisoner to go into it. So it says in verse 21 that after they had gone for a long time without eating, Paul stood up before them. Now this, this takes some, we'll call it courage this morning. And he said, men, should have taken my advice and not sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourself this damage and this loss. But... That was Paul. That was his personality. He's just that cleric, just always had to be right. You know, you're wrong, I'm right. You know, anyways, he started there. So God still graced him, as we're going to find out. Then he went on and he said, But, <laughs> but now I urge you, keep up your courage, because not a single one of you will be lost. Only the ship's going to be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God whom I belong to, the God that I serve, stood beside me and said, Don't be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given to you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men. For I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me, right? Will any word from God ever fail? And he promised it, it's yours. It is yes and amen. Then he said in verse 30, 26, Nevertheless, we also must run aground on some island. Apparently, Paul saw a vision of this happening, I'm assuming, you know, while he was with the angel. So it said, fearing that they would be dashed against the rocks. They dropped the four anchors from the stern and they prayed for daylight. Because that's how they were traveling. They actually put the anchors down and the storm was just pushing them. There was nothing they could do to fight that storm. Fearing they'd be dashed against the rocks, they dropped the anchors from the stern. They prayed for daylight. 
Praying for day. There's a good country song about that, right? Praying for daylight. Yeah. Anyways, sorry. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending that they were going to lower more anchors from the bow. Paul said to the centurion and the, sh- and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, none of you are going to be saved. It was all or nothing. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it drift away. Can you imagine that? It's been days since you've eaten. You've never seen the sun, the stars. This storm has just been raging and raging and raging. And then you see that little dinghy floating away. Your only hope of being saved. Then Paul said, eat. Literally, verse 33. Just before dawn, in the middle of the darkness, Paul urged all of them to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you've been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten a thing. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. And after he said this, he took some bread. He gave thanks to God in front of all of them. He broke it. And began to eat. All of them were encouraged. And they all ate food for themselves. Altogether there were 276 on board. When they had all eaten as much as they wanted. They lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. Do you see that transformation take place? They saw their hopes floating away in that little dinghy. Now... They are so encouraged, so full of faith, they're throwing their food overboard. They ate everything they wanted, they threw it overboard, and then daylight came. And when daylight came, they didn't recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach. That's where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. But instead, the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow stuck so fast that it wouldn't move, and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill all the prisoners to prevent any one of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered all those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. All the rest of them were to get there on planks or what other piece of the ship they could find. And in this way, every single one of them reached the land safely. Broke bread, gave thanks, they all ate. And hours later, their miracle came. They were saved. In fact, it was more than just a miracle. It said, once safely on shore, we found that there, it was an island called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and they welcomed all of us because it was raining and cold. I mean, Hakuna, or what's the, Mahela, that's it, right? Yeah, they, they got that, that, that Hawaiian welcome. I mean, in Malta, they were just loving it. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publis, the chief uh, official of the island. He welcomed us into his home. He showed us generous hospitality for three days. His father, three days, three days, three days. Yeah, I love three days. His father was sick in bed. So we're on a high and then a low. His father was suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him. And after he'd prayed for a while, he placed his hands on him and healed him. 
When this happened, the rest of the sick on the island came, and they were all cured. They honored us in many, many ways. And when we were ready to sail once again, they furnished us with all the supplies we needed. We were blessed to be a blessing. Blessed to be a blessing. But this scene, and I could go on and on and on, over and over again. This, this literal, physical scene. Horrendous circumstances. Impossible. Darkness. Lack. Betrayal. Hopelessness. The most impossible days of life. And yet gratitude unleashed the power of God to do the impossible. Looking to God, giving thanks, breaking it, serving and pouring it out to everybody. And that's when the miracle took place. The miracle took place as they're pouring it out and serving. Over and over and over and over again we see this happening. So, whatever our circumstances, whatever the impossibilities we may be facing, we can look to God, we can give thanks and be generous with whatever it is that we have. This attitude of gratitude can unlock the power of God in and through our lives in tremendous ways. And so remember this. Remember this scene. Picture it happening. Jesus before the thousands on multiple occasions. Elijah feeding in the exact same way. Jesus again at the Last Supper on the darkest day of his life. Paul, when he was ready to die, his hope had gone. He was expecting to die along with everybody, and yet God spared all of their lives and richly blessed them, all because he looked to God, he gave thanks, he broke the bread, and he gave it out. This trend over and over and over again, if it can happen over and over again throughout the pages of scriptures, how much more can it bring breakthrough for you and I? When we are in those dark days of life, gratitude, gratitude, looking to God, giving thanks, if nothing else, just for who he is, that he is faithful, he is good, his love endures, and then to watch what the Lord does as a result. Amen. And so if I got the worship team come forward, and if somebody could go get um, uh, uh, Amber and the kids, because we, we have a special thing. Don't sneak off at this last song. We want to bless you all as well. If you haven't, if you haven't noticed, we've got some blessings here for you, and we want to take chance to give thanks to you. But we're going to just raise a hallelujah. Raise a hallelujah one last time. And as we're raising this hallelujah, I just want you to think of that circumstance that just keeps you up at night. That circumstance that is stilling and killing and destroying in your life. And we're going to speak to that circumstance. We're going to raise a hallelujah because our God is going to do something miraculous through that. Amen. You know, I guess if I could share, we were worshiping this morning and you know how we wrestle with, is that is that me thinking that or is it the Holy Spirit? And I sat there this whole sermon and I'm like, maybe I should have shared that because it kind of goes along with everything that, that was spoken this morning. You know, I got a vision of us standing on a mirror and the mirror was shattered under our feet. And those are the broken promises of the world. Those are the lies of the enemy. But you know, when we worship God, those things, those things go away. You you know, when I was standing here worshiping and I seen that picture of me standing on this broken mirror with broken pieces, like those things, those lies of the enemies, they can't stand when we're worshiping God. 
They cannot stand when we're raising a hallelujah to our Lord. You know, so if you're broken this morning or something's going on in your life, you know what? Let's raise the hallelujah to God this morning because he he's the only one that can put those pieces back together. And he puts it in a perspective that, that honestly, he gives us visions and, and pictures and things. I mean, it sounds, it sounds simple. But you know what? When you're worshiping, you know what? If there's brokenness, if there's emptiness, you know what? Give it to God this morning. And you know what? Just praise him. Just like Marie said, when the tents were, you're, you got to lift yourself above that. That's when I got that picture before she started talking about raising yourself up over those, those tents, those things you got to think. Like, like, that's what we need to do. Our worship needs to be louder. It needs to, you're going to need to tell the enemy when worship comes, guess what? Everything else leaves, right? You don't think of all the problems you walked in here with, do you? No. When you're praising God, guess what? All those things flee. So when we praise and worship him this morning, I want you to raise your hands. I want you to declare out this morning that God is bigger than anything in that mirror that's broken in your life. That God is bigger. So as we praise and worship him this morning, I believe God wants to heal those broken pieces and put newness and healing in your hearts this morning. So let's just stand and worship the Lord this morning.